0: Hey there, online family. Thanks so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We believe that the message you're about to hear is a powerful one. We believe that the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work. And we believe that through this message, you'll hear from Him today. So please enjoy. Uh, it's just been a great opportunity. We love them, Alex. We thank God for them. Uh, you're a blessed people. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand this couple is uh, just awesome and consistent and faithful. And uh, they're a blessing uh, to this house and this city and this community, amen. And so we're honored to be here, especially uh, with their anniversary tonight. We met them when they were married two years. And uh, so we have walked together for 28 years and seen a lot of things over the years. And we're just glad to be here. I bring you greetings from Tulsa. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, we do drive cars and don't ride horses uh, I, I did have a guy recently ask me, he said, do you ride horses in Oklahoma? I said, I'm sure there are people that do, but we do drive cars also And uh, but we, we uh, have, we're having a great time there and uh, I have been somewhat retired my wife and I, my wife's here with me Pastor Debbie, amen, wave your hand Pastor Debbie Amen. We've been together for... We've been together. We've been married 46 years. 46 years. Uh, on our 50th, we get a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, but we are blessed, and we've done ministry together all of those years. And so uh, she's been by my side in many respects, and I've been by her side in other respects. And so we're we so grateful uh, to be here together and to share, and we get to travel now. When, we, uh, when I was traveling initially, our children were still at home, and so she would stay with them, and we weren't able to travel together. And now we get to travel together all the time. And we even get to go on vacation. When I was pastoring, we didn't go on vacation much. And uh, so the, the first year we were uh, retired, uh, we went on three vacations, and we thought certainly... God was on the throne, and we were doing great things, and uh, it was exciting for us. But uh, we're, we're just excited uh, to be with you today and to share God's Word. Uh, oftentimes, I'm asked, um, we have 48 years of full-time ministry. Uh, I, was, I was four when I started, and that's, that's not true. Um, but I have been in ministry for 48 years, full-time. In ministry for 48 years, and so I've learned a few things over those years, both from successes and from failures, and so I'm asked all the time now, tell me three things that you've learned over the last 48 years, and I said, well, I could tell you 50. I don't know if I could limit it to three, Uh, but I want to share this morning three things that really I've learned over these 48 years in ministry. By the way, I love pastors, and all I do now is help coach and oversee churches and and spend time with pastors, because I think pastoring is probably the most difficult job on the face of the earth. And uh, if you can keep your life and your wife and your children together, amen, it's a major thing in ministry, because ministry can be all-consuming. And I know you think all we do is preach, and that's not really true. There's there's about 95% of the time that we're not preaching, that we're in ministry doing things. And it's hard to have a schedule as a pastor because you just don't know a baby's born or somebody's in the hospital or some situation is taking place. And so you really don't have a schedule. You're just available to the people. And that's what we do as, as pastors. And so uh, I love pastors and I'm, I'm here to support them. Somebody once said the best teacher is... Your experience I disagree I think the best teacher in life is somebody else's experience in other words the more you can learn from people that have gone through stuff the less stuff you have to go through you still have to learn from experience but I just as soon learn from other people's experience a lot of things and so I want to share with you uh, this morning some experiences that I have had and I'm going to be open and transparent Uh, about my life and things that I've struggled with in this life that we call living for Jesus because uh, it's not always just perfect. Can I get an amen? If somebody tells you your life in God is just perfect, there'll never be a problem, how many know they have lied to you? Amen. And so uh, not only do we have life and its difficulties, but we have an enemy who doesn't like us, right? So between those two things, we go through a few things in life. So, I want to just share some things and be very vulnerable and honest and open with you of things that I've experienced that have tried to interrupt my progression in God. And um, my my life scripture is actually in Romans chapter twelve. And I say my life scripture because this is a scripture that really transformed my life early on. I was a junior in high school when I really gave my heart to Christ. And I got sold out for God. I had a Presbyterian minister who led me to Christ. My mom wanted me to join the church. And I didn't want to join the church. And she said, you have to join the church. And I said, I don't want to join the church. And how I many know your mom keeps after you finally say, what do I need to do? And she said, just go to this meeting, and they'll let you join the church. It was a little Presbyterian church. And the meeting I went to wasn't just a little meeting, and it wasn't just 30 minutes and we were with our Presbyterian minister who happened to be spirit-filled. And and so he talked and talked and shared and shared about a bunch of concepts that I didn't know. I knew about Christmas and I knew about Easter, because you don't even have to be saved to know about those two things. But I, I knew basic stories, but he started asking questions, and I couldn't answer any question about the Bible. I didn't, I just didn't know I wasn't raised in church until that time. And so uh, I just wanted to get out of there. And then he told me, he said, well, this weekend, we're going on a trip together. We'll be gone Friday night, and it's all day Saturday. Of course, I wasn't prepared for that and didn't want to do it. And, and I thought, well, I checked the schedule, and we had a track meet scheduled. And my dad told me, when you start something, son, you finish it. So I went to my mother and said, Dad said, if you start something, you finish it. We have a track meet Friday. I can't go to this meeting. That week in in practice, I tore a hamstring muscle. I couldn't go to the meet. And, of course, my mother then told me, that's right. Now you're going to that thing. So we went that weekend. He led me to Christ and into experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was changed forever by a little Presbyterian minister. Went to Oral Roberts University, and the rest is history. So my scripture that I read early on became my life scripture and it was from Romans chapter 12 and it says, therefore, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then it goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That was a scripture that I went to continually over the years that helped keep me focused and keep me moving forward. And somebody asked me recently, they said, what's the key to 48 years of ministry? And I said, consistency. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, that means every time I needed to, I showed up. And when I showed up, God showed up and everything was okay. And they said, well, we wanted something profound and deep and theological. I said, I, have that. I don't have that to give you. I just show up. I'm just, I just learned how to be faithful and consistent. And over the years of ministry, when I felt good, I showed up. When I felt bad, I showed up. When I, when I was healed, I showed up. When I was sick, I showed up. When I was happy, I showed up. When I was sad, I showed up. And it was amazing how every time I showed up, I met God. And when God got there and I got there, we were in the same place at the same time. It was amazing what God could do through an imperfect vessel. And it just changed my life. And so this scripture says, it says, I urge you. I urge you. Paul writes to the church at Rome and he said, I urge you. It means compel, to motivate, to stimulate it means keep the fire in your belly it means belly it means be this is vital this is important this is absolutely essential i urge you and so when the scripture says i urge you it doesn't mean let me give you a suggestion let me give you some options no he said this is vital to your life so listen to what i'm about to say And then it says, in view of God's mercy, we tend to just kind of read over everything, but let's just stop for a minute. In view of God's mercy. In other words, when you get God's mercy in view, everything changes. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's mercy, right? When you did something wrong and and your dad took you in the back room, how many know he was going to take his belt out? But somehow, if he didn't, that's called Mercy. Right? You didn't get what you deserved. That's mercy. Well, thank God for God's mercy. And every time you look to God and you see His mercy, you realize, I shouldn't be where I'm at today. But because of God's mercy, amen, I get to be standing in in the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is different. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Because of God's mercy, he extended his grace through Jesus Christ. So he said, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. And the the Greek word bodies doesn't mean your physical body. It means your whole being. Offer your whole being to God as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. In other words, when you see God's mercy, and I've learned to do this on a daily basis... Offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. God, you're the author of today. I don't know how to navigate today. I don't even know what's going to happen today. I don't know who I'm going to meet today. I don't know what situations I'm going to face today. But I know you made today. And you can make me adequate for every situation. So I offer my life to you. Living sacrifice. And then it says that this is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. Worship means dedication and devotion. That's how you offer yourself to God, worship. Worship is not a slow song. Worship actually means dedication and devotion. So when we're singing worship, we're offering ourselves to God. And we can do that musically as well. And he said, this is good, pleasing, and perfect. And, and this makes a great three-part sermon. Good, perf- pleasing, and perfect but the original Greek actually means this. This is God's will, his progression. That when you learn how to offer yourself to God, that, that, that he receives that as good, pleasing, and perfect. Just keep progressing in life. Nobody becomes a spiritual giant overnight. And if somebody introduces yourself as such, just run. Because nobody just arrives. I'm here, and I'm God's blessing to the whole world. Well, you just got saved last week. You know, there's probably a few things you need to learn, a few things that you got you to gotta grasp, and so on. So, so, so I want to talk this morning about life's progression. And I have some slides, if you pull that up. Life's progression. This is one of the keys. 48 years of ministry... Somebody said, what's the key? I said, life's progression. Learning how to progress in God, not knowing how to arrive, because there's no arrivals in God. We talk about destiny. Destiny comes from the word destination. Destination means I'm here, but if I have a, my, I have a destination to go there, when I get there, then that has become my Destination. Life is a series of destinations. That's all it is. And when you get to the end of your life, that's called destiny. You fulfilled your purpose or your responsibility. So let's just look at this. This is life's progression. Life starts here, and it ends here and begins here in God, right? So that's what life is all about, a starting and an ending and a beginning. I, I, I was appointed unto man once to die, so I live my life, and then I go on to my reward to live forever. Beginning, ending, beginning. And how, how is that transition? It's that long. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. That's how long that transition is between death and life. So this is our life in God, right? Well, not really. It kind of looks more like this. Go to the next slide. Can I get an amen? amen? Anybody ever been on that path? Let me see your hands. You been on that path? Everybody that's not lifting their head, just say, you're a liar. You're... No, don't, 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 don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. But this is more what life's all about. And we have some ups and downs. Anybody had ups and downs? Yeah, we've all had them, right? Even preachers have them. Hello? We don't don't live that life. We have some ups and downs. We have some swings in life. So I want to talk about this because it becomes very important that we understand how to navigate in our life. Now, we all have a soul. Old church used to call it soul salvation. You know why? Because your soul is your, your mind, your will, and your emotions, right? That's your soul, mind, will, and emotions, So when you get saved, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's wonderful. But in this new life, we have to learn to navigate. So we have to renew our minds, right? We have to challenge our emotions, and we have to get our will, our our, our strong determination in right standing with God. So that's what, what has to happen, and that's our transformation, Because there's transformation in Christ. So, in order to navigate, we have to deal with our mind. So, draw that up that mind. Mind means cognitive thinking, attention, or instinct, or intellect, or perception, or sense, or judgment. That's our mind. Our mind, the way we think, our intellect how we perceive things, how we sense things, and and how we draw conclusions that we call judgment. All of that's a mindset. So in Christ, we have to transform our minds the way we think because the way you used to think was all messed up. Are you there? You with me? We, we, We thought wrong. We thought wrong about a lot of things. So now in Christ, we have to change our minds. Because in life, if you don't change the way you think, you can get yourself in trouble. Right? So now we have the mind of Christ, but not immediately. It's a progress because we learn to think differently. We used to get mad and just cuss people out. Now we don't do that. Hopefully, right? <laughs> Hopefully. We don't, we don't do that. So we, we have to, you know, so we're, when we were raised, we were raised maybe in an environment that was hostile. And so now we tend to get very uh, uptight about a lot of things quickly. And then we fly off the handle. But, and and, and I, used to, I was talking to a guy one time, and he, he really had some anger problems. And he said, well, that's just the way I am. And I said, no, that's the way you were. The way you are is you are new in Christ, and so we have to learn to let go of that stuff to become alive in Christ. It's a progression. It's a progression. That's why I tell people, don't try to to change people in one moment when they come to church because they're just in the process of getting saved, and now we want to change everything tomorrow or today if possible Give him a chance to grow up in Christ. It's a progression. So we have to change the way we think. Um, and then we will always be challenged. I can tell you a story of a young man that I was preparing to take our church one day. And he was very faithful. We worked together, we spent a lot of time together. I trained him in ministry, and all of a sudden one day he came and he dropped keys on my desk and said, "I'm done. I'm leaving." And walked out the door, didn't say a word, walked out the door. I mean, he left all kinds of trails of mess behind, but he just walked out the door. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm leaving. I said, why? And he didn't say anything and walked out. I think this is ridiculous. Well, that was bad. I wasn't prepared for that. In fact, that was right before Sunday service. It was on a Saturday or Friday, Friday afternoon, and we had Sunday service, and he helped me do everything, and now I'm with nobody. I said, this is crazy. Something's wrong here. My mind started playing games on me, and then he started doing stuff because he he had names and phone numbers and addresses of our membership. Somehow he had got them from our computer department, and so he had them, and he started calling people. And he couldn't say, I was having an affair or misusing money or anything. I mean, uh, there was nothing like that going on. But he he used his influence to confuse people. And all of a sudden, we started losing people. We were about 1,500 people at the time. And we, we started losing hundreds of people. And he just was working behind the scenes, and he was calling people, and then he had people calling people saying, you know, Pastor, Pastor so-and-so is, is left, but he, he doesn't have any money. We need to start sowing into his life and his ministry. All of a sudden, our, our income of our church went down, and it dropped $25,000 a month. And I'm thinking, God, what is this? I didn't sow the seeds for this. My mind started playing games with me. I didn't sow seeds for this. I was faithful every every church I served and every pastor I served. I was faithful. I never herded church. I never left bad things behind. And I never walked out on anybody. I didn't sow the seeds for this. Why is this going on? And my mind was battling this whole situation. And you talk about ups and downs. I mean, my mind hit a peak, but, man, it went to the valley. And it was the most difficult thing in life I had ever In ministry I'd ever experienced This isn't fair Why am I going through this Why am I facing this I shouldn't be facing this I'll face other things but not this This is crazy And all of a sudden we were $100,000 behind in bills $100,000 behind And I thought if things don't change They're going to come padlock the door Of this church and I don't like it. And God, you're going to have to talk to me. I was so busy arguing with God mentally that I couldn't hear God spiritually. Are you with me? And I'm in ministry. And I know God. But my mind was playing games. It is key that when your mind starts going in these directions, I'm going to give you keys for, the, for your soul The the key to your mind is truth. Truth repositions your mind on the line of progression. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so when your mind plays games with you, and some more than others, you have to come back to the Word of God. Truth sets the mind in place. You need to come back to truth. Somebody said this, Romans, uh, John 8 says this, You shall know the truth, and the truth you know shall set you free. In other words, you, you know what the Bible says, but can you apply it to your life? That's the truth that, that takes you from the valley of your mental gymnastics and brings you back to the line of progression. Because life is all about Progression. And and so truth becomes key. It says this we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ, Second Corinthians 10, 5. And we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's just not a cute little verse. That's the key to get your mind straight. Because your mind can play games with you. And you can go in this roller coaster ride. In, in your mind, in your thoughts, and trying to figure it out. And sometimes you can't figure it out. And so we have to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this young man did that. I don't know why he came in and he tried to destroy our church. I don't know why you allowed him to do this. I, I don't, but I can take that thought captive and bring it into obedience. God, I don't know, but you do. And, and a guy told me, he said, you're not going to know for a while, but I promise you, give it some time, and you'll understand exactly why. And that was freeing for me. I thought, okay, I can do that, because I don't know why. But I can't solve it. But if God can, ultimately, I'll wait. I'll wait. So the key is truth. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5, And Philippians 4.8 said, Find the brothers, sisters, whatever's true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, whatever thing is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. So again, truth was setting my mind straight. I don't need to be thinking about it. I need to give it to God and keep thinking about good things, positive things. I don't know about yesterday, why that happened, but I do know today is another day, and there are great opportunities in front of me. So we, we were invited by a couple to go out to breakfast, and they were a normal couple in our church, and I said, ah, okay. My wife said, I think we should go. I said, okay. My wife usually knows the right thing to do. So we went to breakfast, and while we were waiting for our pancakes, he slid a check across the table, face down. These were not wealthy people. They were just very common people in our church. And I turned it over, and it was a check for $100,000. How many know that'll heal what ails you? (laughs) Because we were $100,000 short in our budget. And, of course, we had a moment, we cried and everything, and thanked them. And they, they had received an insurance policy on their son, who was a veteran, and so on. And, and that check was 20% of what they received from that insurance policy. They sewed into our church and got us free. We never looked back from that point. What we, I'm not telling you is the rest of the story. Because that young man, I was dealing with things in his life that just need to be straightened out. He got mad at me because I was dealing with personal things in his life. But I knew we had to get some things straight before one day he might take over the church. He wasn't willing to do it. He left and somebody was trying to influence him and talking behind the scenes and everything. And So he left. But now I realize that had I turned the church over to him, we wouldn't even have a church today. And what was the worst moment in my ministry life became the greatest moment of revelation because all of a sudden back in our sound booth was Michael Todd running the sound. And I saw him. I knew him as a little as a little baby. I knew Michael. I was a part of his parents' dedication. But I hadn't known him for years, but he came and ran sound because we lost our sound man. He said, I'll, I'll just come and... Help you run sound. All of a sudden, I started seeing things in his life that was incredible. Today, he's our pastor. Today, he has an international ministry. We're in seven, 76 countries. Uh, usually, there's anywhere between 300,000 and 500,000 people in a month's time that listen to the sermon every week. Uh, we, we have a 5,000-seat auditorium. We have a non, 198,000 square foot office building for our staff of over 130 people, on and on and on. But what was my worst moment was a moment that God in his omniscience saw that this man wouldn't work, but I've got this man over here. And all of a sudden, the revelation came. And I said, Lord, thank you for all the pain and all the hurt I didn't understand because it was a moment of revelation that this is the person I'm supposed to turn the church over to. The truth sets you free. Then we have emotions. We have emotions that's affection, concern, desire, despair, excitement, feelings, grief, happiness, passion, remorse, shame, sorrow, warmth, sympathy. All these are part of our emotions. Everybody has emotions. Yeah, I, I don't have emotion. My wife has all the emotions. Yeah, but put you in front of a television and watch Green Bay, and emotion is going to come out. <laughs> I don't have emotion. Ah, you're screaming and shouting because they just scored in the fourth quarter to win the game. And all this emotion comes out because every person has emotions, even those who tell you they don't. Put them in the right situations, there'll be emotions. Then we come to church. We shout and jump up and down for Green Bay, and then we come to church... And we sit there during worship when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes in a room who, who is the creator of all the universe and mankind in itself that's, that sin is only begotten the Son and we are afraid to share emotions in church but we'll share emotions for Green Bay. There's something wrong with that picture. But we have emotions. All of us do. We have emotions. And I found my emotions when our son, who who was just a great young man and incredible athlete, and he trained and was going to go pro in in motocross racing, and just awesome and just great young man, and then went through a horrible, horrible uh, relationship situation. He thought he had married this girl, and she never turned in the certificate, and now she had later, she had her, his baby, and he found out the baby's name wasn't his name, and, and this whole thing just blew up in his face. It was just very complicated, and he lost touch with reality and ended up on drugs. Not just cute little drugs, real drugs, until it ended up in meth, until he became an addict. And this was in our home. And I'm pastoring, and now my emotions are going crazy. I didn't raise a drug addict. I raised a young man. His name was Joshua Caleb. I mean, we covered the bases, amen. I mean, he had it coming and going. I mean, he was he was in, you know. And then all of a sudden, he's a drug addict and a serious drug addict. And I'm a pastor. And I'm dealing with the police on Saturday nights as he comes home high as a kite and doing crazy stuff and everything. And police at our house, and I had to, and sometimes two and three in the morning and four o'clock in the morning, we're working with him, and then I have to get up at six and come preach. And my emotions are spent. I'm exhausted. I I've I've cried out, I've screamed, I've I've just bent emotionally till there's nothing left and I get up and in two hours and I stand in the pulpit and somehow I, when I stand there God meets me and I preach and there's a powerful anointing and then I get out of the pulpit and it all floods me and I have to go back home and deal with my son it just was this emotional battle and I wondered, what's the key God Cause this is hard, this is hard. And now I'm talking 13 years later and he still is relapsing. He's been sober now for about six months and he's in a rehab center in Tucson, Arizona. And we just went out and visited him and he's doing really good. And I have to constantly deal with my emotions that I wanna say, okay, when's he gonna relapse again? Cause he's done it about 20, 30 times. And I have to get my emotions intact because I can take my emotions to heights when I see he's doing good and to the depths when he's doing bad. And my emotions are all over the place. And I'm not even an emotional person, but he's playing in my hills and valleys of emotion are there. And I had to find the key. You see, the key to your emotions is worship. It's worship. You'll have emotions, and sometimes you'll be high, and sometimes you'll be low. Sometimes you'll be glad, sometimes you'll be sad. But when you worship, everything gets in proper perspective because you enthrone the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You set him on high, and things begin to change. And my wife and I had to do that more and more as as he relapsed over, and then we had to just continue to be worshipers to keep our emotions in check because they're real in life. Then there's this will, our will. Your will is your determination, your intention, your resolution, your resolve. It becomes essential that you set your will on the path of progression because your will is 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 important because it's made out, and the key is belief, set your will. What do you really believe? Because when everything's going great, you believe for miracles, but when it's not, you're just trying to survive. So what runs your life? What is your really belief? Who really is God? How can God change my everyday life and my hills and valleys? Because I have to set my will, and so your belief sets your will. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. I know for a fact, I believe in this God, that no matter what I face and go through, that I am going to make it. I'm determined in God. Because he's a way maker. And see, we forget the miracles that God's done along the way when we're in a crisis. But the fact that he brought you through hell and back means he can do it again today. And we picked our son up again. And he was on the street. And it was winter time, And it was cold. And we just told him, because when, when he's high... He, he is threatening and destructive. He's about 6'2 and about 240 and all muscle. And we just couldn't play. And my wife said, we need to, we need to go get him. This was probably, I don't know, six, eight months ago. And when we found him, uh, he was bad. But she said, we got to find him. And he just made a call in the middle of a of a night, and we got up and went and got him and brought him home, and he was sick. We didn't know. We thought he was just coming down from a high, you know, and so, but he wasn't getting better. So my wife took his temperature, or she touched him. When she touched him, he was burning up with fever. We called emergency. We took him to the hospital, and the doctor said, if you hadn't bought him in five days, he would have been dead. He has double pneumonia in both lungs, and it's severe. They gave him antibiotics for about four and a half hours, and then they, they put him on this course of antibiotics. And, and we did that, and we said, boy, this is rough. I, I don't know. I just don't know. And I said, let's just turn on the television. And we didn't go to service that Sunday because we were in the midst of this. And so we turned on our service, and Robert Madu, a preacher in Dallas, Texas, was preaching, and here's the message he was preaching. I've seen this before. I thought, wow, is that tailor-made? Because we had seen this before. And he preached us right into God's throne room. And he, and he set our will that no matter how many times, we're not going to quit, we're not going to give up, we're not going to throw in the towel. Why? Because... Moments in God are essential. That's why you don't have to tell me go to church. I, I don't preach a lot in our church anymore since I've, I've retired, but I go to church. Every time I'm home, I go to church, and I sit under a pastor that was my son. And I call him my pastor, and I receive the word because it's that precious. I worship God because I don't get there late because, you know, oh, they sing a lot at that church. You can just get there and get the word. Isn't that interesting? That's the most selfish thing you can ever say. The word is for you, but worship is for God. Worship is for God. And so when you worship, you enthrone him. And when he's enthroned, he delivers the word that's life-changing in your life. And so he just preached us right into heaven. And our belief is that no matter what, he's going to make it. We reset our lives. It's moments in God. It's moments. Next slide. Just this moments in God, and then it's next. It's another moment in God. Next slide. Another moment in God. Another moment in God. Two more. One more. Another moment in God. Your moments in life are essential. You have to learn how to find God on your own because you can't wait from Sunday to Sunday. It's too much time. You've already been through 12 different things. So you have to learn how to find moments in God. You. Well, I'm not a preacher. So? That doesn't mean you can't find God. That doesn't mean you can't have a moment in God. I, I, I have little devotionals, I have music on my phone, I've got a, I got a worship playlist on my phone, and when I need a moment, I don't care what needs to happen, where I am, I can be in my car, I can be in my office, I can be waiting for an appointment, I get me a moment. That moment recenters my life and gets me on the road of progression, because the key of life is Progression. You can't arrive tomorrow or the next day. And you can't, you can't just live a perfect life because life happens. And things, you go through stuff. I didn't know I was going to lose my my mother when I lost my mother. And we were in the we were in the hospital room praying for for a month, every day for hours. And knew God was going to do something. She went home to be with the Lord. She's fine. But it was shocking, but I had to work through that. We all do. These are moments in life, but you have to have a moment in God. Right? Find those keys. Get you a scripture. I knew my life scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in God, which is a reasonable form of worship. That was my life scripture. Get you a scripture and quote it to yourself and recite it to yourself, and recite it to the situation, until you get on the road of progression, because life is all about progression. Come on, say progression. Progression. Moments equal momentum that equal progression. Moments produce momentum that equals progression. In 1968, I came to Christ. I was a junior in high school, and I was on my back porch reading the Good News Bible because that was the only Bible I could understand because I couldn't understand these and thous, Just, I couldn't understand it. Couldn't understand half the hymns that we used to sing. A mighty fortress is our God. How can a person be a mighty fortress? A bulwark never, what is a bulwark? You know, we'd sing those songs. (laughs) I didn't know what they were talking about. I, I wasn't raised in church. But I was on my back porch reading the Good News Bible And God spoke to me, the very first time God spoke to me, and he said, one moment in my presence can change everything. One moment in my presence can change everything. Well, that's for preachers. Really? The word of God is as much for you as anybody else. Well, that's for so-and-so. He understands. I don't don't see that. No, just understand this. God loves you. The fact that you've given him your life means he's capable of touching you in a moment. In a moment. If you'll take a moment in the midst of your life and crisis, God will come into that moment. One moment in God's presence can change everything. Everything. There's a great movie that came out. It uh, talks about uh, one night with the king came out several years ago, I think 10, 12 years ago. And there was a key uh, song they used to sing, and it said, One night with the king changes everything. One day in his courts could forever change your course. One moment in his presence, and you'll never be the same. From the desert to the king, it had been my destiny to be chosen for such a time as this. Talking about Queen Esther. I did not know that all my dreams could become reality. Then I saw his face. His love captured me and changed me forever. One moment in God's presence can change everything. You know what? The, one of the biggest challenges to progression, and this, I, my whole life is is around this word now, and that the biggest uh, challenge to progression is change. Have you noticed in life, there's lots of things that change? Have you noticed in the church That things change? Do you notice in this church over the last five years, a lot of things have changed? Do you know you're not through changing? Things are happening, life changes. Have anybody noticed that your body changes as you grow older? Oh, could I talk about that? (laughs) Somebody said, How are you doing? I said, When are you talking about? They said, how about this morning? I said, not too good this morning. I woke up, I found some pains. I didn't know where they came from, you know. Somebody said, what do you do? I said, I buy vitamins. I'm a full-time vitamin buyer. I hurt this, so I got a vitamin. I do this, I get a vitamin, you know, I, and, and pray and believe God. But but all of life is changing. I'm 71. I'll be 72 in April of this next year, and uh and Life changed. I mean, he said, Man, you haven't changed. I said, You don't know who I am. <laughs> you know, things have changed over the last few years. But, but life changes, everything changes, and you got to get used to that. And, and if, if you're not careful, when life is changing, there's some hills and valleys in that change. But it's okay because life is changing. Our family is changing, our kids are no longer babies. You know, with Matt's family, I mean, he's got grandkids now, lots of them, lots of them. You know, <laughs> y'all are very productive people. You know, <laughs> you go home and do your homework. It's wonderful. But, but, and so now I don't, we don't have kids, we have grandkids. It's, it's a difference. The greatest thing is grandkids go home at the end of the night, and it's a wonderful thing. But life changes, life changes, and it's it's a great thing. So don't let life get you in the place where you're not willing to change. Everything changes, right? I I had one of the first phones ever came out. We called it the brick. You know why? Because it looked like a brick. Some Some of you probably don't even remember, well, what's that? It was this big and this big around, and it looked like you were holding a brick to your head. I had one of those. It was a brick, and it weighed like it weighed as much as a brick, and it was horrible, you know. But I had one. But how many of those phones have changed over the years? Aren't you grateful? Amen. They change. I I went to one of the first McDonald's. I I bought a hamburger, French fries, and a milkshake for a dollar five. I wish I'd have bought a thousand of them. <laughs> A dollar five, but McDonald's still sells hamburgers, fries, and a milkshake, not for a dollar five. But the building was old and decrepit when I saw it. But it had still had arches. Now the arches are neon signs and everything, and they have playgrounds for children. But they still sell hamburgers, and French fries. But they changed because now they understand that parents want something for their kids if they come and order food. And they, they just shift, and they change. Theaters change. I went to the one of those theaters, I mean, when I was a little kid, and there were wooden chairs. I mean, they, they were just wood. It was like sitting on a wooden plank. It was just wood. It was horrible. And, and the, the quality of the film was horrible, and the sound was horrible. And we were excited because it was a movie. And now they have leather chairs, and they recline, and... And uh, they, they, some of them, they serve you a meal in your chair. Now, I don't like the reclining chairs that much because when I go to a movie, I want to watch the movie, not sleep. <laughs> but things are changing. You need to know that there's progress. So progression is vital. Progression is vital. Is that how long I've preached or how long I have? I forgot what I told you. He's going like this. You know what that means? <laughs> Can I tell you? I, I got to tell you this story. This The elders were upset at their pastor because he was preaching too long. And they said, Pastor, you can't preach that long. It's just too much. You got to shorten your messages. He said, well, I don't know how. And when I get up there, I think of things. And it just happens and I roll and everything. They said, well, I think we got a solution. They said... We're going to give you this mint. And when you put the mint in your mouth, just preach. But when the mint is gone, you got to stop. (laughs) He said, I'll try it. So he got there and he reached in his coat pocket and pulled out the mint and put it in his mouth. And he was preaching away. And they kept looking at their watches. It was 45 minutes. It was an hour. And they said, Pastor, it's too long. He said, but the mint's still there. And he pulled it out and he went to show them. And it wasn't a mint. It was a button. (laughs) So I don't know how long I've got. Maybe, maybe. I... <laughs> but I'm trying to tell you, progression in life is vital. Don't stop. In fact, there's no stopping in God. There really isn't. I, I went through a season, I stopped. No, you didn't stop. You, you digress. Because when you stop, you start moving backwards. There's only forward and reverse in God. And I don't know about you, but I've worked too hard at life. I want to continue to move forward. And there's moments when it seems like I've only taken a step in the last day or so or two days. And that's okay because it's one step farther than when you were yesterday or the day before. Just keep moving forward. Day by day, moment by moment, wrestle and get that mind in control with truth. Get the emotions under control in worship. Worship, recenter you. Get your beliefs in control so you don't have self limiting beliefs. Self limiting beliefs are horrible. Because the beliefs just set and you can't get past them because you have a self-limiting belief. Usually self-limiting beliefs are established through experience. Our experience in life set our belief system. Let me give you an example. You're a little kid and you're going around, you're going around the neighborhood and you go by these people's house and they have this big bulldog and he's usually chained, but this day he broke his chain. You walk by, he runs up to you, he's growling, you're seeing his teeth and he bites you. That was a real experience, but unfortunately, usually that little boy or little girl that was bitten that day now have imprinted in their minds, all dogs bite. It was your experience and it was real, but it's not a truth. All dogs do not bite, but it was your experience, so that becomes a self-limiting belief. So we got to be careful in God that we don't limit him in our progress of moving forward. Moving forward is essential, and I'll just give you the topics of the next two, and I'll be done. Because now I'm seeing that's how long I've gone, and that's the second thing I've seen is trust. Trust is important. Learning how to trust God is really, really important. It was vital to my life and my moving forward and progression in God was learning how to trust Him. You know, how I learned to trust Him. You learn how to trust by the principle of waiting. We don't like waiting. I love this song. Our youth pastor used to sing it, and it was just very emotional for me because he passed away with cancer. But I love the song, I don't mind waiting. And I would play it on my car and I would just so enjoy it because it reminded me of him, and he was such a great man. And, and I and then I started listening to the words and I said, I do mind waiting. In fact, I hate to wait. We don't like to wait. We want everything quick. We don't want to go into the bank. We want to do the teller. We want to do it quick. We don't want to drive through, go to McDonald's. We want to drive through and we everything want. Quick, 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 quick. And before long, they're going to have shoots and you just press a button and open your window throw it in your car. You'll keep moving. I mean, we just want it. We want it faster and faster and faster. And God said, you don't, you mind waiting because you don't trust me. We were trying to sell our house. We had a big house because we had lots of kids. Not only we have four kids, but we took in another four kids over the process of time because of home situations and all that. So we had eight kids on and off most of our adult life. And we had this big house with lots of bedrooms. We didn't need it anymore. It was just the two of us. Everybody had gone. We said we need to sell this house. Three and a half years it took to sell that house. Three and a half years. And I was giving it away. I actually got to the place, we had $100,000 equity in the house, and I was willing to give somebody that $100,000 equity just to get out of the house. Still couldn't sell it. And then all of a sudden, things started happening, and I realized that God was putting things together over that three and a half year period, because there was a couple that were believing God for that house for the last five years. And I didn't know, and they were former church members. And we had to have a down payment for uh, the next house we were going to buy, and I didn't have it, but we had some lots, and it took three and a half years to sell them, and we had the money for the down payment. All these things God was putting together, a couple that needed that house. We didn't know they were out there. We didn't have all this stuff, and God said, now is the time. If you had trusted me, you would have relaxed because I was teaching you how to wait. Waiting produced trust. Waiting produced trust. And then as I closed, the last thing that became vital to my life was legacy. Legacy. All of us will leave a legacy. All of us. Whether you think you will or not, you'll leave a legacy. What are you leaving that's in somebody else? Somebody said, what's it like? Yeah, y'all can come. What's it like? For you, this this is a sign that I'm closing right now. Okay, <laughs> come on, lift your hand and say, "Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus." Um, the sign of legacy is not what you accomplish; it's what you leave. Legacy is not what I do; it's what I invest. Legacy is is something that that will be far beyond what I could have even accomplished. So it's not all about me. It's about the future. It's about somebody else leaving legacy. We leave legacy in our workplace, in people's lives. You're leaving a legacy. You leave legacy in your children. You leave legacy in your grandchildren. It's all legacy. Before you leave this earth, make sure you have a legacy. I'm thrilled today. My, Michael Todd honors Pastor Debbie and I. He's blessed us over and over and over. The first, the first three years he took over the church, we were in a conference and he gave me a car, and paid for it. He didn't have to do that. He just has been so honoring and so things. So I I get to enjoy watching a church that is now in 76 countries with. Hundreds of thousands of people. We had a good church. We had some uh, 1,500 at our peak. It's a good church. But it wasn't what we have today. We, we led 65,000 people to Christ last year. First-time conversions last year. Just last year. We have 11 full-time people that just follow up with people getting saved on our staff. This year, I think we'll reach close to 70000 It's just, what what a miracle to watch that. But it wasn't about me. It was about my investment in somebody else that is far exceeding something I could have ever done. That's legacy. You have more in your life than you can comprehend. And you've done more to help people than you can even understand. Just make sure you're leaving something in the earth. You might live another 50 years or 20 years or 10 years. Just leave something in the earth. I had two major goals for this year. And we, my wife and I, Pastor Michael, gave us offices on the sixth floor, an all-glass office on two sides. That looks out to O. R. Roberts University in South Tulsa, and we're so blessed. We're so blessed. And I said, you don't have to do that. He said, Oh, yes, I did. My blessing is determined how I honor you. You don't understand. I, I, it's 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 vitally important that I honor you. I said, Keep going, brother. That's a good thing. <laughs> do it, man. Do what God tells you to. You know, but we are blessed to be able to watch legacy unfold through Pastor Michael Todd and the church. That's that's legacy. That's legacy. Every day I watch it and sometimes I'll go in and 70% of our staff is 30 years or younger. And sometimes I'll go in and my wife said, Where are you going? I said, church. She said, why? I said, because I can She said, Do you have an appointment? I said no, I'm just gonna hang out. Because these young people I give me such life that's changing me. I just want to be around young people to give me life and continue to live for the sake of the kingdom of God. These are things I've learned. If I leave you one thing, it's this. Just keep moving forward. Progression. Learn how to trust Him and leave a legacy with your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for allowing us the last several minutes together to to share. Thank you for these that have allowed me to share, perhaps longer than normal. But I pray that I leave something in them today that's going to help them to navigate because there's so much for them to do through and in this church and in this community and with their lives and with their talents, some that they've already seen, some of which is still yet to be un- uncovered. Lord, I thank you that, that when you give us a gift, it's, it's not only to make money, but it's to build the kingdom of God. So I thank you. Bless and anoint their life. And ultimately, oh God, let every one of us leave a legacy. Maybe it's just one person, but one person who changed one person who changed one person can change an entire community. So thank you for anointing our lives. And God, when we get to those places that we misstep or misguided or misdirected or something happens that hurts us and we get discouraged and we tend to back off, that you extend your healing hand and set us in proper place, in proper position, in a proper setting and May the Church of Jesus Christ really be a life-changing agency for every one of us. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, "You know, that's great." But I don't know if my if my life is really in proper relationship with Jesus Christ. I I, I don't know. I mean, I come to church kind of when I can, but but I don't know if I'm really sold out. But if what you're talking about is a life in God you know I really need that you're here this morning and you're not in right relationship with God you know about God you know stories of the Bible but you're not in right relationship with God or you were but you've kind of strayed away I want to pray for you before we leave I'll just be a couple of minutes but if you're here this morning would you just lift your hand let me see it you can put your hand back down anybody thank you my sister anybody else is there anybody else I don't want to leave anybody out anybody else that's here you say that's me amen amen one sister lift her hand let's pray together say Lord Jesus everybody together say Lord Jesus today right now I offer you my life order my steps guide me be Lord of all from this day forward I vow to serve you and help build your kingdom through my life my gifts my talents and your church I bless you and honor you for this day in Jesus name Amen I tell you this morning as Pastor Matt comes I tell you this morning as uh, you all begin to sing if you've stopped your progression don't stop any longer yeah, but I just, I want to make strides. No, take a step. Just take a step. Make a commitment. Be faithful to the house. Start getting involved in the church. Be faithful in your giving. Giving, your, your giving doesn't change this church. It changes your life. It changes your life. It's changed my life. The seeds that we've planted over the years has changed our life and given us a future. That we could have never provided for ourselves. Be faithful to God's house. Be faithful to God himself. Be faithful to the church. Amen. Let the Lord use you. Move forward. Look at your neighbor and say, move forward. Progressing God. God bless you. Thank you.